0: Because it's always always something that we uh, is an incredible blessing. We have been looking at the mysteries of Christmas. Part of tomorrow, uh, for many of you, as you will go to underneath a tree or a stocking or whatever else, and there will be something wrapped, and you, many cases, do not know what it is. And there's something that's somewhat exciting about that, um, particularly for children. Um, but even for us adults, <clears throat> as we get older, we in our family, we kind of do uh, joke gifts. So uh, there are always gifts to surprise everybody and go, why would you buy me this? But that was part of, that's part of the fun of it. That's part of the mystery. And we've been talking about some of the mysteries surrounding Christmas from the scriptures, and we've talked about two so far, and we're going to end this morning with our third. And the first mystery we talked about was the incarnation. The fact that God came in the flesh, that God wrapped human flesh around himself, came to this earth, and as a man, he was God, but he was also a man. And he needed to do that in order to be able to die in our place, because the Bible's very clear, without this shedding of blood, there's no way for sin to be paid for. So we celebrate, and we look at that mystery, we talked about that mystery of the incarnation we talked about last week the mystery of the virgin birth, the idea that God was virgin born, which meant that while He was on this earth, He could be sinless. He could be without sin, because had He been born any other way, then He would have been of the seed of Adam, not of the seed of the woman, and there would have been no way for us to have eternal life and salvation. So we talked about that last week. This morning, we're going to look at the, the, the last mystery, and um, I'm going to sh- share with you a passage in, in Timothy. Here's what it says. <clears throat> um, it says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And here was, here's, here's the mystery. That God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Let me sum it up in one word. Love. That's the mystery. The fact that God loved us. And that's the mystery of God that we want to talk about this morning, is the love of God. Because you see, it is so important that we understand very, very clearly this concept of love from God's perspective. And we're in a culture which I think has maligned it. And, 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 and what we talk about, you know, I mean, you, know, you talk about, you know, while well, I'm in love, you know. I mean, and those of you who've been married any length of time, you know as well as I do. You think you know what love is when you start. And then you get halfway into it and you start to find out, well, it's a little more than feeling and emotion. And then as you get farther down the line, you realize, well, you know what? That played such a small part of it because it's so much bigger than that. And it's no different with the love of God when you really start to understand and comprehend the mystery of, of God's love. So this morning, I want to talk about a couple of Bible passages and and what it teaches us. And then I want to apply some stuff and how we're going to use it in our lives uh, this week. So um, the first idea is that you need to understand that in in 1 John, when the Bible talks about God, it talks about the idea that God is love. Now, some of you are going to disagree with what I'm going to say, but I I genuinely believe this 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 is what you have to conclude. There is no love apart from God. In other words, if God is love, then how can you have love without God? The two are connected. It's this idea of, and and, and, and um, we went through a series um, a couple of uh, last month on who needs God in Sunday school, and and one of the and it talks about the idea that. The whole concept of morality is sourced in God. In other words, here's a question. The question is, well, everybody goes, well, you know, people should, you know, people should be loving. You know, if, if I'm talking to somebody, for instance, who doesn't believe in God, you know, one of, the, one of the things, well, you know, I think that, you know, I don't believe in a God, but if there is a God, he should be loving. And my question is, why? Well, on what basis do you say that? Because, you see, if you go back in history, hundreds and thousands of years, There's no concept of loving gods. Um, All the gods of, of, of the pagan world were gods that you had to appease because they were always angry at you. And when you study it out, the reason that you think a god, if there is a god, he should be loving, is because that's what Jesus taught. That's sourced in Jesus. It's sourced in God. And one of the things that you need to understand is the idea that God himself is love. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's just but he is love. And so as we talk about this concept of love, you have to understand that we, in order to understand it, we have to look at how God loves and what God does and why God does it, and that helps us to understand then how we should love. So we have to start with the idea that, that, that it is sourced in God himself. And you see that in probably the most famous of all verses, John 3.16, here's what it says. It says, um, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a very simple concept, but it's, it, 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 the mystery of it includes so much. Here's the idea. The idea is that God loved you. Now, I know me. There are days I don't even love me. I love my wife, but there are days that she makes it a little hard to love her sometimes. It's rare. It's rare, but it does happen. It has happened in 34 years of marriage. Um, You know, I, I love my granddaughter, but there are days that she can make it very, you know, when she's throwing her little temper tantrum, screaming on the floor and kicking, you know, I'm like, you know. I just don't know, you know what happened to that cute little Claire, you know. Um, but that's part of it. She's two, you know. But it's the idea that God says, "Look, I loved, and notice what He did because He loved. He did what? He gave." You see, that that that's what this Christmas story is all about. Is that God loved you so much that He gave Himself for? You, when you were unloving and unlovable. In fact, biblically, the Bible says you were his enemy. But he said, you know what, I don't care. I love them enough to come. And like I say, when we talked about the virgin birth and the incarnation, the fact that God himself would come and wrap human flesh around himself, that God who would never sleep would now need to sleep. God who had never eaten would now need to eat. God who is a spirit would now have to learn how to walk. Um, God who created the trees is now going to hang on one. I mean, it's just all of that was because He loved you. And because He loved me. And that, folks, is an incredible mystery. Because God is love. But not only is it the idea that He focused on other people, but the idea was he did not, his, his love was without merit. In other words, and, and this is where some of you struggle. You can't earn it. Uh, Romans 5 says it this way. Here's what he says. But God, um, I'll throw it up here on the screen. Uh, God commended his love toward us. Um, hey, guys, screen. Yoo-hoo. I'm up here. There we go. There we go. God demonstrates his own love. Towards us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the Christmas story ends with the Easter story. We have Easter because there was a Christmas. Um, Most of us love life, and we try to extend life as long as possible, and we do everything we can to grab everything we can out of life. But Jesus came for one reason and one reason only, to die. He didn't come to live life for himself. He came to live life so that he could die for us. He commended. In other words, here's what it's saying. It's saying, and, and, and this is what I want you to understand this morning. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more or love you less. Now I'm going to say it again. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or love you less. Some of you have been brought up in a world in which, in your world, love was earned. And unfortunately, you came from a family where if you wanted your mom or dad's love, you had to do something in order to get it. That's not the God of the Bible. I've dealt with many 50, 60, 70, 80-year-old men who've never, ever heard their dad say, I love you. Dads, can I take a rabbit trail for a second? You let your kids know you love them you let your kids know they don't have to do anything or be a certain way or do a certain thing in order to have your love. And I would always, with my kids, and my kids will tell you this, I would always say, even when I discipline them, I'd always say, okay, you understand, you're grounded for two weeks, right? Yeah. You know why you're grounded for two weeks? Yeah. Okay. And you know I love you, right? Well, yeah. (laughs) Why? Why? I may not have liked their behavior, I may not have liked their decisions, I may not have liked what they did, but I still loved them. And and I want to challenge you, because some of you have been brought up in a world, some of you were brought up in churches and and things where you had to do a certain set of things in order for God to go, hey, I'm happy with you, I love you more now. There's nothing that could be further from the truth. God, look, when you were at your worst, God loved you. Some of you sit here and you go, You don't understand. You don't know my background. You don't know my God. Because my God loves you regardless of what you have done and where you are and how bad you think you have been. My God looked at people who were hanging him on a cross and said, Forgive them. It's okay. I understand. I, I'm doing this for them. And if you need to understand, you, there is a God who loves you and cares about you that much. The Christmas story is the fact that he came to this earth for you and for me because he loves you. And he loves me. And you know what? I don't get that. That is a mystery to me. Because I know how I have treated God at times. And yet, he has been faithful because here's the thing that you you fail to understand about God. God continually loves you unconditionally. And that is an amazing fact. If you're a student of the Bible, some of you have been Christian for a long time. Let me explain to you just for a second. In the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament stories, if you've read the Old Testament, here's a question you will come up with as you read the Old Testament. Why doesn't God just get rid of them? Why is it that Israel messes up and God loves them and God takes care of them and then they mess up again and God loves them and God takes care of them? Why is it that that happens from Genesis all the way to Malachi? Because you sit back with your human mind and you go, wipe them out. God, start all over. These people aren't worth it. I mean, even when God puts them into exile in Egypt and and they come out of Egypt and they're all praising him, three days later they're whining and complaining and then finally God says, okay, I'm going to let you die in the wilderness. And for 40 years they wander. In 40 years God takes care of them every day. It's not like God says, I'm just going to let you die in the wilderness. You're on your own. God says, I'm going to let you die in the wilderness, but I'm going to feed you every day and I'm going to clothe you and I'm going to give you sandals and I'm going to still take care of you even though you turned your back on me. And when you read the Old Testament, you go, why, 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 why? There's an interesting Hebrew word that describes it. It's a concept called hesed. The best translation we can come up with is a translation that says it's a loving loyalty. It's the idea that God said, you know what, I promise to be faithful to you, and I'm going to stick by you no matter what. In the New Testament, we call it love. It's the idea that God loves you. And some of you are, it, some of you have convinced yourself. well, Satan has convinced you or you've convinced yourself that God doesn't love you anymore. And there's nothing that could be further from the truth. Some of you have convinced yourself that, you know, you know, you look at people here and you go, you know, well, you know, I mean, it looks like they have their act all together. Well, you just haven't been here long enough. And you'll figure out we're all, I say it over and over again, we're all in the midst, in the middle of growing together. And we grow together, faults and all. But we come together with this idea that God, we know that God loves us and cares about us. And so, consequently, we try to love and care for one another the same way. But I want you, I, I cannot say it any clearer than I know how to say it, and that's just simply this. Look, folks, you need to understand, God loves you. That's what the Christmas story is all about. So let's talk about a couple of things that will help us as we go throughout this week, as we celebrate Christmas tomorrow. Some of you are going to celebrate today. Some of you already celebrated it. Um, Some of you are just going to stay home. Okay, I get it. Um, You know, you you do what you want to do with it. But a couple of things, a couple of takeaways from it. And here's the first thing. The first thing is this. Because God loved you, He came to this earth as a baby in a manger, to go to a cross as a man. And he dies willingly on a cross for you. And he offers you a free gift of salvation. He says, if you'll trust me, if you'll receive me, then I will come in and be a part of your life, and you and I will spend eternity together. That's the concept. But here's the thing. It's something you have to receive. Now, some of you think I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm playing games here with semantics, but I'm not. I did not say accept. I said receive. Because there's a difference. And let me explain it to you this way. I'm going to try to get my... Uh, unfortunately, I have some experience here. But I, I, being... See, this is we always do this. We try to excuse our sin. Um, uh, I learned to drive in Detroit... Okay, In Detroit, you were taught this. You don't pay attention to the speedometer. You catch up to the car in front of you. That's what you were taught. You were, you were taught that in driver's ed. So you need to understand, when I leave my house, I have one goal. Catch up to the car in front of me. Now, that car might be 10 miles away, but I'm driving as fast as I can to catch up to the car in front of me because that's what I learned. So I tend to have a heavy foot. And so, unfortunately, um, police officers doing their job tended to gravitate towards me. Um, and so there was one time, I had not been to track of school yet, but I was very close at one point. It's been a long time since I had a ticket. And when I say a long time, I'm going like 10 years, and that's like, for me, that's like a really long time. Um, so let's just say I'm out here driving on this road, and this is uh, Movo Blacktop, <laughs> is it what, 55? <laughs> okay, good. Um, <laughs> I thought so, I just wasn't, the more I started thought, is it 50 or 55, but anyway, okay, so I'm driving down the road, and I'm doing like 70, 75 mile an hour, and a police officer pulls me in, and then I see little lights, and I know the whole routine, so you'll pull off, and he comes up to me, and goes, okay, the last time I had the discussion, it was on this road, and the guy goes, do you know how fast you're going? I said, mm, I was flying. He said, yes, you were. Um, I said, I wasn't paying any attention. So I said, I just know I was flying. And he goes, yes, you were. And then he looked up my record. And He goes, well, you haven't had a ticket for a while. I said, I'm just going to give you a warning. So that was a like, really nice day for him. For him. But anyway, um, so let's say he looks at me and says, you know, you were, doing, you were doing like 75 in a 55 mile hour zone. I'll tell you what, you know, because it's Christmas, I'm going to write you up for 10 over. Now I used to know what all those things are, but, you know, I'm going to write you up for 10 over so it's not, okay, okay. And he writes me out a ticket and he hands it to me. Now, I am going to accept that ticket. I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to accept it. Okay. Now, another analogy. Let's say, on the other hand, I'm driving 55 mile an hour. And by the way, some police departments have been doing this. I think it's a great idea. Um, some police departments, I'm driving 55 mile an hour, and I'm going down the road and tooling down the road, and all of a sudden, ooh, the lights come on, and I pull over, and I, he says, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, no, sir, I have no idea. I said, because I have the cruise control set at 52, uh, I have been really good, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. He says, well, here's the deal. He said, uh, our, our department this year has started implemented a program, and we're giving away Christmas hams, and so I have a ham for you. And he goes to his car, and he brings out a ham. Now, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to receive it. and I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to sing the praises of the police department. Um, Why? Because I'm going to receive it. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference. There's a difference. When we talk about Jesus Christ, we're talking about receiving that gift of salvation and embracing it with all that comes with it and enjoying it and appreciating it and valuing it and making it, let it make a difference in my life. That ham would make a tremendous difference in my life. The ticket would too, but not a positive one. You see what I'm saying? In other words, it's a gift. Think about it tomorrow. Um, If you have Christmas tomorrow and somebody hands you a gift, you know, Claire comes up to me and goes, uh, grandpa, a gift. And I go... Don't want it. Nope. You know, maybe later. Maybe later. You look at it and you go, what kind of grandpa are you? What kind of human being does it make it when God gives himself to us and we say, I don't want it? It's an incredible gift. It's an incredible gift that he offers it, but it's not ours until we accept it. Claire comes up to me and says, hey, Grandpa. I don't care what it is. It's going in my office. It's going on my wall. It's, it's, it's something I'm going to treasure and value and appreciate and receive. And I want to challenge you this morning to really look at your relationship with Jesus Christ and ask yourself, have you received him as a gift, as something that's special, as something that's valuable? For those of you that have, let me challenge you a second way. Jesus Christ's life was not about himself. The Bible's very clear. He came not to minister, to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for all. Do you understand what your purpose is as a believer? For those of you that have received Christ, that have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do you understand what your job is? Your job is to go out and show other people what God is like in the way that you serve and minister to other people. Your life's not about you. Your life's about pouring your life into the people around you. Let me take a rabbit trail for a minute. I know that being with family can be difficult. I know that when families get together, there's that, (laughs) I know how that plays out. There is a blessing in being way away from family. There's also a side of it that's not so great. But some of you tomorrow are going to be with people who are porcupine people. You know what I mean when I say porcupine people? Porcupine people are people that it's like hugging a porcupine. How do you hug a porcupine? Very carefully. You know, you put on gloves and you put on a special coat and you go, oh, I'm going to try to hug a porcupine. And you're going to hug the porcupine and you're going you're to do everything you can to protect yourself. You guys, you guys have one of those. What is, what is that? Hedgehog. It's a hedgehog. Yeah. They have a hedgehog. I'm like, what do you do with it? Oh, you've got to be careful you can't pet it. Then what do you do with it? Oh, it's so cute. <laughs> And I mean, you know, but when you, you don't just go in and grab it, do you? You, you? You're very careful with it, right? Do you actually, like, pet it? And You do? Oh, geez. <laughs> this is why I don't go to their house. Uh, no. Um, but you do it carefully. You do it carefully. And some of you are going to be with some people like that tomorrow. Let me ask you something. For whatever reason, they are the way that they are. You love them. And do everything you can to be nice and to show the love of Christ in your life towards them. There's a fascinating passage in the Bible talking about Jesus' disciples. Um, here's what it says. Did I put that verse in there, guys? John? Uh, no. Oh, is that the only one I got? Okay, go back to that. I'll get to that in a second. Yeah, go back. Yeah, there we go. <clears throat> and John, here's what it says about the disciples. It says that they knew his disciples by the way that they loved one another. It wasn't their theology. It wasn't their dress. It wasn't the way they acted. It was, it was the way that they interacted with one another. The, the idea was when people looked at the disciples, and go, you know, I don't, th- those guys are like kind of way off, but I cannot believe how they love each other. I can't believe how they take care of each other. I can't believe how close they are to each other. Our goal here is to have a church that's like that, where we love and we care for one another, and we want the world stepping outside and looking in to go, you know, the one thing I don't, you know, I mean, they're crazy. They're just, they're not right. But, boy, they take care of one another. Well, they love one another. People are going to watch how you and I talk about one another. People are going to watch how you interact tomorrow with family and friends. And you need to be able to, and I need to be able to, if God's love is in my life, if I have received Christ as my Savior, then it's very, very clear. I love God with my whole heart, and I love others as myself. It's interesting. When you look at that passage and ask Jesus what the greatest commandment was, he gives them two. It looks like he gives them two. You know, They corner Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it looks like, well, Jesus didn't, you, they asked for one, how come you give him two? Really, the idea is it's two and one. Because in God's mind, and this is the whole argument of the book of 1 John, in God's mind, guess what? Loving God and loving others are linked. They like, well, you don't understand, I just hate people. I'm a Christian, but I just hate people. Oh. With God's help you will learn to love the people that God loved. Because there's not an eyeball that you will see that God doesn't love. Every person, if you're, I don't know, I'm going to come up with that, Harry. If your name's Harry, I'm sorry, but you know, crazy old Uncle Harry, God loves him. That person who has who has gotten under your thumb, who has treated you wrong, who you have a whole thing against, and you may be going on for years with this thing against, and tomorrow you're going to be with them, and you just, it's like, in fact, I'm so mad, I'm not even going to be with them, and time out. Time out. If you've received Christ, and the love of God is in you, You've got to be able to demonstrate that to people around you. But you don't know what they did to me. Well, really? Well, time out. Jesus, they put him on a cross after scourging him, beating him, and they put him on a cross, and he went, Hey, Father, forgive them. Don't hold it to their count. It's okay. You go, well, I'm not Jesus. But if Jesus is in you, then that's how you and I need to respond so that people can see Christ in us. And you go, yeah, but you don't know my relatives. You don't know what they've done. Look, look, you're right, I don't. But I do know what Christ has done. And I do know that how God can use you. And I just want to encourage you tomorrow. Because here's what you need to realize. The world's watching. They're watching. And I often ask people this. Are you living in such a way that they want what you have? If you're all angry and, and hateful and mean and vindictive and stuff, why would anybody want your Christ? Why? See, you and I have an opportunity tomorrow. Tomorrow is a mission opportunity for people to see Christ in your life. You go, well, you don't understand my family. No, I don't understand your family, but I do understand the opportunity God's giving you tomorrow. And that's my challenge. That's my challenge for those of you who believe is to live in such a way that they see Christ in you. Because God's love is something that cannot be pulled away from us. Listen to Romans chapter 8, and I end with this. Um, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. In other words, you're going to be able to do it. Why? Because God loved you. For I am persuaded that neither life, nor death, nor principalities, nor angels, nor powers nor things important, things that come, nor height, nor depth, created we will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. There is nothing that can take that away from you. That's why I say, God's not going to love you anymore. God's not going to love you any less. God loves you. And it's my challenge that you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. For those of you that have, you can't just tell the world about it. They have to see it. Because talk is cheap. And you can look at the life of Christ and you can see somebody who demonstrated love to everybody as he went. So that's my challenge for us this day. So, twofold. Number one, that you've received the gift of eternal life, that you've received Christ as your Savior. For me, I was 16 years old, sitting in one of those metal chairs like this in the back of a room. And I just simply prayed and said, Lord, I know I'm a Savior. I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And God, as best as I know how, I'm asking you to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sin, to be my Lord and Savior. At that moment in my life, I didn't just accept it. I received it. I made it a big part of my life. I, if I die today, I'm not going to heaven because I'm a preacher. I'm going to heaven because I have received Christ as my personal Savior. And it is important to me for those of you who are Christians, and, and, and it's just a simple prayer, it, but, it, but it's a life-changing prayer. And if we would love to talk to you, if you've never done that, if you want to do that, you can do that, we can do that while we're having communion, you do that right now if you want to. I did it in front of a bunch of people. I didn't care what anybody thought. It was that important to me. But it changed my life. For those of you that are Christians. What are people going to see in your life this week? Are they going to see the love of God in you? Are they going to see when you're mistreated tomorrow or whatever the family gathering is, are they going to see you respond in a loving way? Are they going to see tenderness, compassion, humility, love, care, concern? Are they going to see you getting all defensive and all upset and staking your claim and saying, uh, you treated me that way? I'm not going to? What are they going to see? They need to see the love of God. You know why? Because you may be the only Bible, the only Christian they ever see. That's an important challenge for all of us. And I want to challenge you That as you go tomorrow or wherever this week, when you're in that line, when you're taking back that gift that you got six of, and that line is long and that cashier is short, you're going to, be able to walk away and say they saw the love of Christ on the way you talked to them? You're going to be able to walk away and and know that they saw somebody who loved them and cared? My wife and I, we got to get away this past couple of days, and we do Omaha and Mannheim steamroller and all that stuff. And so, you know, we just kind of looked at it as an opportunity, and every time, you know, and I, I didn't, I don't think about stuff like this. My wife does, you know. So we try to leave a, a nicer tip this time of year than, than normally, and my wife would write, Merry Christmas, hope you have a happy holiday, blah, blah. You know, If I wrote it, they wouldn't be able to read it, but my wife's writing that on all the receipts and stuff like that. It's not a big thing. But you know what? The way we've talked to them, the way we've interacted with them, we can show them the love of God as well. And I want to challenge you this week. There's a world that doesn't think God loves them. The way they're going to know it is the way we treat them. And they have to see Christ in us. So I end with this this morning. My challenge to all of us this week is this. God's love was demonstrated to us in the Christmas story. The reason we love God is because He first loved us. It's a great mystery why God loves us. But His love enables us to love others and those around us. The world needs to see god's love in our lives let's go out and show them this week let's pray lord we don't understand why you loved us like you did or there are some in here this morning they're still not convinced that you love them god open their eyes help them to see how much you really care Help them to understand, Lord, there's nothing they have done or said or ways that they have acted, Lord, that has driven them away from your love and care for their soul. Lord, for those of us that are Christians, Lord, sometimes we just do a really bad job of acting like it. Lord, there's a world that's watching. And tomorrow, as we get with family and friends, it's going to be easy to get short-tempered and to make it about stuff that really doesn't matter. But Lord, may all of us show forth God's love in the way we talk and respond and interact with one another. And, Lord, when it is all said and done, may people be able to look at us and say, you know, they may not agree with what we believe, but they know that we love them. And uh, use us, Lord, that people will be able to see Christ. These things we ask in your name. Amen.